Well, thanks, thanks so much for everyone being here. Uh, we'd like to introduce our guest tonight, uh, longtime host of Off the Record on TSN, Michael Landsberg. I know we, we threw you off in the first instance of, of changing seats on you. <laughs> I said, I'll sit wherever you want. And you said, where do you want to sit? And I said, I'll sit wherever you want. Just tell me. So you pointed there. And now all of a sudden, Gabe's in that chair. This is fitting for our Jewish sports podcast that it starts with a debate over seating. Uh, I, I think, I think it's very fitting. <laughs> so welcome. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we're the Menschwarmers. Our show is about talking about Jews and sports and sort of the weekly updates in that. And Michael's show for a long time was you know, something very Jewish of moderating an argument about sports. Um, and, you know, we're here to uh, talk to him and, and him to tell a little bit about his life and career and, and what he's focused on now. Um, so to start, can you take us back to the very beginning? The very beginning? As early uh, as you remember. Okay, well, uh, in my life? Yeah. Like, just way back? Way back. Sure. Uh, I would say, in the context of this conversation, there were a couple of things that were most important in my life growing up. Okay. Uh, Judaism um, was pretty important to my dad. My dad loved being Jewish. Right. My mom came from uh, a very sort of neutral home. Her parents were Jewish, but very unobservant. Uh, and she observed because my dad observed. And my parents had this legendary marriage where it was like people in the Jewish community would go, oh my God, Ronnie and Annalie Landsberg, they've got the greatest marriage ever. And I, I, when I was a kid, I, was, uh, I used to stay awake at night uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of them was I was deathly afraid that what would happen if one of my parents died? Wow. It would be like, oh my God, they, they're, they were inseparable. Uh, so as a kid, when you, you ask me my earliest memories, uh, anxiety was a huge part of it. You know, there's a million ways I could go with this question, but I'm trying mm. to give you something that's relevant to our discussion. Uh, I have this thing called emetophobia. I'm letting that pause go for the drama where people are going, oh my God, what's emetophobia? Emetophobia actually is a legit phobia don't get me started on the illegitimate ones. Metaphobia <laughs> is the fear of throwing up. Okay. It's the fear of being around someone who throws up. It's the fear of seeing, like it was everything about it. And I was giving a talk, a uh, mental health talk, uh, a couple of years ago. There were 75 people in the crowd. And I said, has anyone even heard of emetophobia? Three people had experienced it. Um, if you would have told me that when I was a kid, would have changed my life, that there was somebody else that, because uh, it shaped a lot of my early life. So uh, Judaism, uh, metaphobia, uh, anxieties, and uh, in sports. You right. know, I found that I was, uh, I was really good at being a sports fan, which sounds weird, perhaps, but uh, I Ju just, I could remember things and formulate arguments about Ju sports. Judaism and sports are, you know, come up in our show very early often, but this is definitely a record for fastest vomit mention. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know what the old record was, and I yeah. swear to God today, uh, I said, I'm going to beat that record. I'm going to be the first guy to mention it. Right That's on. Good. How did, you, uh, how did you first get involved in sports broadcasting, sports journalism? What drew you to that? Uh, what drew me to that was uh, lack of other options. I always, <laughs> I always wanted to be a broadcaster. I always wanted to talk about sports on television, but I never thought that I could talk about sports on television. Right. I didn't know anyone. There was no one from our community who was talking about sports on television. So I kind of thought, like, you know, it's like saying I want to be an actor. Like, how, how do you do that? Um, but I was really lucky in that, first of all, I came from a home where my parents didn't want me to be my brother, who's a nephrologist, uh, you know, got, got a scholarship to medical school. Um, my dad was an orthodontist. I only had one uncle, and he was a chartered accountant. So all I knew was professional. But 
that was not an option for me. Uh, when I was in second year, to answer your question, when I was at second year at U of T, uh, I knew that there was nothing there for me. And when I was in third year, I was going to take an exam. It was in the fall in November. I remember it was raining, and I remember said, screw it. I'm not going to take this exam. Tomorrow I'm going to walk into U of T radio, and I'm going to see if I can do this. And that was the beginning of the next stage of my life, where I finally had some place that I could say, that's for me. Should, should mention you also broke a new record. Is the, that's the quickest mention of my other son, the doctor. Uh, something that's mentioned a lot, but, but this yeah, is the quickest we got to it. Yeah, and uh, it, my parents could have kind of been like, well, you know, look at, look at your brother. But they always knew that I wasn't him and that I couldn't be him. Right. But I'm pretty happy to say he couldn't be me. <laughs> One time I, he gave a speech at my dad's 75th birthday, and my sister-in-law, his wife, said, oh, my God, Dave is a great speaker. And I looked at her and went, uh, I, don't, I don't know about the great part. I, I don't think anyone wants me to treat their kidneys, and I don't right. think anyone wants him to broadcast. We all stay in our lane. Yeah. Stay in your lane. So, so you uh, graduated from university or got into journalism, sports broadcasting, around the time that TSN was starting up. Um, you know, that was sort of a new thing in, in the world of, of uh, well, at least Canadian sports media, Canadian media. You know, I think of sports before that as being like three minutes of a guy at a desk at night talking about it, but not the whole, you know, an, here's an hour of highlights and here's, uh, here, here's sports 24 hours a day. Totally new. I, I probably got the biggest break of anyone in Canadian sports broadcasting, right? So TSN goes on the air. There's... Uh, probably seven or eight national jobs in sports at right. CTV and CBC and maybe global. Uh, and TSN hires four people to start, and I'm one of them. And I had never worked in television before. And the answer as to how the hell you could get a job like that <laughs> is that I knew when I was in school at Ryerson for broadcasting, I knew that I sucked. <laughs> so I, uh, other than um, all the guys that I went to school with who wanted to do the same thing, they all thought they were great. And I was still better than them, but I knew I was <laughs> terrible. And I worked, uh, you know, tirelessly to try to develop some skill. Right. I, I, I want to mention that my, really one of my earliest key memories as a sports fan is being like five or six years old where I was waking up at like 5.30 in the morning before anyone else in the family went up. And obviously, you know, what do you do with a kid that's up that early? Let them watch TV, because what else are they going to do? And I had to wait from when I woke up around 5.30 until 6 a.m., because 6 a.m. was when sports desk started. And before that was like Caribbean workout uh, TV show that was like... Keanu's? Yeah, had you, no interest as a six-year-old in that. But yeah. sports desk coming but on But when was you were like 13, amazing. you were interested wow. in that. I think they took it off the air by then, unfortunately. Yeah, it didn't last long enough for my interest. But... Yeah, those early, well, not early necessarily, but my early memories of, of those sports desk years were just, you know, it was such an amazing thing as a sports fan to just, here's everything that happened. And after all, I was going to bed probably before any of the games were played the night before, but here's everything that happened, and I'm going to tell you about it, you know? It was totally new, and uh, I mean, just the whole, the whole aspect of it was new. The whole tone of it was new, sort of. Like, so when I got hired, there were three other people, Terry Leibel, who uh, wasn't there for long, uh, Jim Van Horn and John Wells. Jim Van Horn and John Wells uh, were kind of old school, where it was three games in the NHL tonight, the Toronto Maple Leafs, losers of three of their past four, took on the high-flying Detroit Red Wings. Uh, and I was kind of like the opposite of that, right? It was, you know, I, I kind of thought that you had to have fun, you had to have attitude. Uh, and it was, it was quite the conflict early on. And that was your, your old school three minutes uh, uh, on, on global news. Do you think, you mentioned, you know, there's, there's conflict and attitude. Do you think there's anything sort of, you know, we think often, at least I certainly get this, there's a, a type of brash Jewish gregariousness 
that you brought to the air? Do you think that was part of what differentiated you early? You know, I, I don't know because I don't know how people see me. I know from what they tell me. Um, <laughs> sure. I mean, I was, uh, I was uh, labeled as arrogant from the first, the first show I ever did, the first sports desk I ever did. People said, oh, Landsberg's arrogant. And I carried that through to this day. And it never bothered me, right? Because I thought, hey, you don't know me. I don't have to prove anything to you. As long as you watch the show that I'm hosting, I don't care if you watch because you dislike me or you like me. But I think a part of it was the part of the dislike um, and part of it was I earned it, right? Because, you know, I was always opinionated and, you know, I would sure. ask questions that if someone wasn't giving me an answer, I would be, you know, more aggressive than most. But also, you know, I, I, I do think there was an undertone of, uh, you know, that Jew is, you know, like, why does he think he knows everything? Right. And you know, so this isn't me sort we of saying to inspire that in people. We tend to, and I tend to. I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty proud of the fact that if you would have done a, a survey, say, in uh, 2012 across Canada, which, which sports TV person do you hate the most? <laughs> I, I would have dominated that, uh, and I would have been happy with that, right? That's great. You know, that's a great attitude. I mean, you know, if they hate you, it means they know who you are, right? Right. But also, you know, I, I knew who I was. Right. Like, like the, there's people in the audience uh, that know me and would say... The last thing I would call Michael would be, you know, arrogant. But I conveyed something on television because I heard that enough times. And I realized that don't listen to what people say when it's negative. Right. But I also learned that don't listen what they say when it's positive. Because you can't listen to half and not the other half. You can't, you, you can't be a normal human being if, if you're consumed with what do people think of me. Right. So my attitude, and, and maybe this is why when I came to talk about mental health on TV, I never cared what people thought about me. There was never a part of me saying, oh my gosh, what are they going to think of me? Right. Uh, after Sports Test, you were the host, obviously, for 18 years uh, of Off the Record. Uh, I think as being really a landmark show, especially in Canadian sports media, uh, you know, inter largely interviews, other format as well. But I don't remember there being a show before that where somebody was talking to the audience in that way. Someone was really talking about sports in that way. Now, if you watch, if you turn on any uh, cable sports network, whatever... That's what all there is, 24 hours a day. It's all is sports shouting. Yeah, it is people talking about sports. It's, it's you know, first take, it's oh, you know, yeah. hottest takes and things like that. And what, I don't think you, so, you veered too much in like the, the clickbaity way, but it was very much that the model of that, you know, I am a fan, but I am a serious person. I'm talking about sports. I'm talking to the people who do sports. I, I think what Jamie's trying to say is, are you the original Stephen A. Smith? <laughs> I wish. I mean... <laughs> Uh, there is a huge difference between TV in Canada and TV in the U.S. And one of the differences is how much you get paid, right? Like Stephen A. Smith makes millions of dollars. <laughs> uh, but Stephen A. Smith is really good at being Stephen A. Sure. Smith. And I would say that, you know, when I, when I used to talk to young broadcasters a lot, now not so much because now... You know, people don't know, do I go into broadcasting? How am I going to get a job? What is the future of it? But I would tell them, whatever you do, do the best you Right? Like, even if people go, I hate that guy. But, but you, what you don't want them to say is, yes, yeah, he's not very good at his job. It's like, do the best you. And a guy like Stephen A. Smith does an amazing Stephen A. Smith. Now, right. you may hate his guts, but you got to admit he's good at it. 
So what were the origins of uh, OTR? Like, what was the genesis of it or the idea behind it? Uh, I was doing Sports Desk, uh, specifically for you. Um, you know, I, I said, let's sure, do the sure show. felt that way. Yeah, I said, let's do the show at 5.30 so he could watch. <laughs> but I was doing Sports Desk, and, uh, the, um, and, and you know him. Keith Pelly was the vice president of programming who, uh, who was, he liked me. And when there's a new vice president of programming, some people win and some people lose. It's like new coach of a hockey team. Sure. He has people that he likes on the team and people that he doesn't like. And people that he doesn't like are probably going to be gone. So uh, Keith came to me and said, you know, do you want to host a talk show? Uh, and I said, yeah. I mean, who's going to say no? Uh, and he had this idea for a talk show, which would be on TSN at 6 o'clock. They would call it off the record. The rest of his idea was terrible. But the name <laughs> stuck and the, and the time stuck. Right. Uh, and we created the show because I had watched, uh, like many at the time, um, uh, Bill Maher on, pardon the interrupt, no, sorry. Uh, politically, politically, incorrect. politically incorrect. And I thought it's really cool to watch people talking about all different aspects of life, even if it's not in their area of expertise. So I said to him, you know, I, I want to do that show. And you know, Jim Thompson was the vice president of programming. And he said to me, you'll never get guests. He actually said that to me the first day we started the really? show. He goes, you're going to fail. That's uh, also what our producer said to us, and you're here. <laughs> so I, um, I, so we took it in that direction. And uh, I, I have often said that Off the Record was really successful and that, wait for the humility here, here it comes, uh, and that uh, at 6 o'clock... On TSN, in those days, any idiot could have hosted a talk show and had a pretty good audience. It was like people came home, then they turned on TSN. That was, that was, now people don't come home and turn on TV, period, right? Sure. So uh, you'll never see a show like Off the Record in Canada again. Uh, not talking about quality. I'm talking about like um, that kind of sort of guest-driven show because there's not a big enough audience. Interesting. So something we were talking about you know, a little bit before the room filled and then something you mentioned, um, you know, of over years of booking guests on Off the Record, in your opinion, you know, we have this Jewish gregariousness that I think the three of us and a lot of people in this room share. What makes a good talk show guest? I, I would say uh, a good talk show guest does not come in with boundaries that are oppressive. Okay. So it's like, I mean, you don't expect people would come in with no boundaries in what they're going to say. Um, I mean, none of us would do that, right? But if, if you're so narrow, if you say, uh, you know, if you're a hockey player and you say, I'm not going to talk about anyone on my team, I'm not going to talk about anyone that I played against, I'm not going to talk about anyone who played in the game before me, I'm going to talk, but I'm not going to say anything. And that's a killer of sports talk, right? The killer of sports talk is people that want to abide by a certain set of rules. Uh, what makes great sports talk, which would be probably the same in news or anything else, or people that are willing to um, speak from the heart. Uh, and the heart is almost always interesting, but people prevent the heart often from sharing. Do, do you feel like there was uh, media training or were they taught, told by, were, people, were players told by teams, you know, yeah, you can go on Michael's show, but don't say too much about this or that or anything like that. Yeah, I, I would say that would for sure have happened. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was media training. You didn't have to say that to sure. hockey players, though, uh, because <laughs> hockey players are trained um, from birth. Don't say anything. Right. Never, just, ever, ever say anything. They just got to work hard and put pucks in the net. You yeah. just got to. I it. mean, is there anything less interesting than a, a one period of play? <laughs> Leafs lead the Red Wings two to one. Here's so and so uh, with uh, Mitch Marner. 
and you get two questions in, it's just deadly dull. And right. the NHL hasn't really come to the conclusion. Like, uh, you guys ever watch um, the Formula One show on Netflix? Sure. Yeah. Drive to Survive? That's, uh, that's the model that a, a league like the NHL that is not number one. Like, the NFL doesn't have to do anything, right? Yeah. But the well, they NHL, do hard knocks, which gives and, that... And hard knocks is pretty unfair. But they don't have to do anything, yeah. is my point. <laughs> right. But, you know, like, Formula One's audience, like, I don't know how much greater it's gotten because of that show, because people talk candidly, because one principal of one team, of the Ferrari team, will look at Red Bull and say, that guy's cheating. I mean, that's, that's the dream, right? Yeah. And it was so seldom that I would ask questions that you would go, wow, thank you for, um, for an interesting, honest answer. Were there other athletes that you felt, like generally speaking, you got better responses from? Basketball oh, yeah. players or football players or anything like that? Well, hockey was the worst. Hockey was uh, the worst. Baseball okay. wasn't great. Um, I, I would say uh, basketball players were really good. Mm -hmm. uh, NFL players, typically, if you got the right one, were really good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but it, that does track with education levels. Like hockey players have to start playing hockey basically professionally from 15, 16. Baseball players, you know, if they're good enough to get drafted, they're getting drafted out of high school. Basketball players, football players may not go to all their classes, but they went to a university. Absolutely. For a few and football years. players all go for two, three, four years, sure. right? Uh, I, I would say that uh, certain sports were great. Um, I mean, not that it falls into the same category, but wrestlers. Mm -hmm. Wrestlers were great. Long Jewish history of wrestling. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, uh, like, where, where, throw out some names. <laughs> uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. Half Jewish. I, I didn't know that. Uh, so, Dean Malenka. Yeah, but you know what? You sound really desperate if, if he's half Jewish. <laughs> okay, Bill Goldberg. He, hey. Bill Goldberg's Bill Jewish. Goldberg, I knew that. We, he's also, we have a rule if they could play for Team Israel in any sport. Yeah, we one consider them one grandparent is usually enough. You know, we're, we're not really picking from a, the largest heap here with Jewish athletes, so sometimes you've got to bend the rules just a little bit. But So, uh, Randy Macho Man Savage. Yeah, uh, Bill Goldberg. Bill, Go Bill Goldberg. Yeah, uh, Dean Malenko. He's a terrible guest on Off the Record. Oh, really? He, had, he, he claimed, he made excuses beforehand. He said, you know, I'm really tired. I haven't slept in a day and a half or whatever. Uh, and I, I believe it because he's, he's a pretty good talker. But wrestlers, see, wrestlers are, uh, for the most part, the really good ones are geniuses. Not physically, just physically. Yeah, performers. Right? But they create these characters. Um, but they are fascinating people with interesting backgrounds. And uh, in our case, they were willing to share those backgrounds. Mixed martial arts, like UFC fighters, some of them are, are great interviews. Uh, amateur athletes tend to be the worst interviews. Uh, junior hockey players, we used to do a show after the World Junior Championships always, where we'd have four from the Canadian team. It was death. <laughs> Honestly, it was like, oh my God, these, these people People, their lips are moving, sounds are coming out of their mouth, but they are saying nothing. You, you, you did a lot of work with the Olympics uh, in your time at TSN. W was it the same for those athletes uh, in terms of interest, or, or did Olympic athletes, do they rise to a, you know, a, a greater virtue somehow? You know, there, there's, uh, I, I, I would say uh, that my experience with Olympic athletes, uh, especially when you're not at the Olympics, I mean, I, I, the best time in my career was uh, 2010. Uh, on CTV. It was like Keith Pelly, the guy that I mentioned before, was the only guy that would have done that with me. He's the only guy who would have said, you know what, I want to put Landsberg on a mainstream uh, audience. Because, you know, if you host Hockey Night in Canada, for instance, if you're Ron McLean, the key is, is just don't 
turn people off. They don't have to watch because of you. But yeah, you have to not get noticed in any way. Right. And and I was always the guy who they would never have done that. But he gave me this job, you know, hosting from Whistler. And I remember you walking down the street doing hits. Hey, how are you doing? Type thing. That it's, that it's great. It was that was the best uh, experience of my life. Not only because you know doing the Olympics on CTV, which is a big difference between, especially back then, CTV and TSN. Uh, on our own soil, my family was there. My brother has a place in Whistler, a kidney doctor, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, uh, I don't have no place in, uh, I don't know why I went to no place. I don't have a place in, in <laughs> we Whistler. We went back to Shtetl Talk. That's yeah. the other name of our podcast. Uh, so it was by far the most fun that I've had in broadcasting. I uh, just wanted to touch back. You got to do interviews with wrestlers that, as far as I can recall, were, were really the first ones where the wrestlers were breaking character, uh, breaking kayfabe, as they call it. Uh, and I, I, just to jump in, I learned wrestling was predetermined from watching Michael's show. Yeah, I, I remember as a kid, like, watching those interviews with, with Vince or, or with uh, Undertaker, that it was just like, wow, this is a guy doing a character? Like, I, I guess I sort of had some idea that it, they were doing that, but it was... You really brought it to the to the yeah that was, that was to see. you know I, I I would say uh, of all the things I've done in my career by far the thing I'm best known for and still get yelled at on like in a positive way uh, I live at Bathurst in College now and I walk my dog on College Street and I would say three times a week someone would go hey Landsberg those wrestling interviews man hey what's Bret Hart like like constantly hearing that they were um again humility coming here sure. they were great shows really great shows uh, we got all of their top guests Vince had told them you can answer any question you can ask them any questions and I had the best questions because we had uh, a guy that you probably know from hockey Jeff Merrick mm -hmm. Jeff Merrick's on Sportsnet sure. right so he did a show called Live Audio Wrestling uh, and he was best friends with the producer of Off the Record Bob Makowitz important these names are crucial to this story uh, <laughs> and course. Bob brought Jeff in and Jeff gave me these questions. So he said, oh, you know, ask uh, Mark Calloway, Undertaker, ask him about the time when Shawn Michaels in a house show came back to, uh, to the dressing room uh, and had not done, quote unquote, the job for Vince. Right. Ask him about that and ask him if he threatened to kick his ass and if he would have done it. And I said to him, you know, is, is that true? He goes, brother, how, how did you know that? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, it's my job or whatever. And it was like this genius moment that I had, mm. I can't take any credit for except right. for just, you know, executing it. It, it must be very uh, gratifying to, I, I, I would call it pulling a nardwar on someone where it's like, I know this very specific thing, you know, to bring that up in an interview. That must be very gratifying when, when a guest turns to you and says, how do you how do you know that? I, I I never told that to anyone. Like that must be great. Yeah, and it was it was uh, uh, that is a cool experience for sure. Um, I also got burned on it. Apparently, Wikipedia is not a reliable source. No, I remember saying to Bobby Clark, uh, you know, Hall of Famer Bobby Clark. He was general manager of the Flyers, and I said to him, so between periods, because you know, I know you have diabetes. Uh, between periods, he used to have like a. a, a Orange juice and a chocolate bar every game. What kind of chocolate bar? He goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. I go, but, but it's true. I read it. For, for a long time, and people kept on asking us about this all the time, and we weren't responsible, but uh, the article about Toronto Raptors guard Fred Van Vliet said he was Jewish. Yeah. For the longest time, people kept deleting it, kept coming back. We kept getting asking about it. 
He's not Jewish. He's never been Jewish. But if you were to listen to Wikipedia, he is a Jewish all-star. And now we, we've taken on the role, to a certain degree, with some few other people online, of sort of figuring out who's Jewish and who's not, uh, but only in a positive way uh, among athletes. So, like, someone's like Fred Van Vliet's Jewish, and it's like, all right, we're digging through his family's, you know, uh, family records, obituaries, whatever. we got to get to the bottom of this right. until we do. So, yeah, Wikipedia can be a, can be a tricky one. I, I never heard that. Uh, <laughs> I... Uh, I'm thinking about the what, the Raptors when you were talking about it. Yeah. I like. Really don't think there's been a Jewish Raptor. There's Anthony Parker used to wear number 18. Yeah. That was, I think, the closest we've gotten. He, he's Hold played on. Israel. Uh, and there were Jewish players that played against the Raptors. Oh, for yes. sure. Like, yeah. uh, well, Amari Stoudemire. Amari Stoudemire, who was a terrible interview. Really? I I said I I was so pumped. I'm thinking, oh my god, he's Did you ask him Israel. about Gematria? I I, I said uh, Yom Hashishi. Can you continue? And he like looked at me like. Don't go there. Don't make me look like a bad Jew. Wow. Yeah. So this is before I think he, it must have been before he really dedicated himself to study because he's converted now fully and like he, he's he, you know, on his Instagram, thing. it's always just him doing Torah study. It's amazing. Like <laughs> he, he's really committed to it. Yeah. He uh, he claimed that he was, I, I, I busted him. Oh, you know, he, yeah. he couldn't, you know, like, yeah, I think he just used to do like Baruch Atad right. on a Friday mm -hmm. night. I mean, what the hell's that, he, right? He was going, he spent during the, uh, uh, I'm sure some of you know if you're as dedicated listeners to our podcast as we assume you are. Um, <laughs> But uh, the Yeshiva University basketball team won something like 50 games in a row over the last few years. And Amari Stoudemire was courtside at like yeah. half of those games. Really? Just like, yeah. Because he was coaching for the Nets at the time, yeah. But uh, it's, it's an interesting story with him because it sounds like he grew up with some black Hebrew, black Hebrew Israelite background. Like that was his family's background, something like that. So he sort of adopted a, a Jewish identity for a little bit. And then I think people took him in and were like, okay, you want to be Jewish? Be Jewish. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And now converted fully. Like he's... Yeah, well, you know, he's got to prove it to me because <laughs> you're I, still, I thought... You're still skeptical. Right. I, I, I was so pumped to like yeah. have fun. We used to do a segment at the end of the show called Next Question. And I would ask all these, like we would right. all think of like, I, I would say to the whole crew, everyone give me five next questions for, um, for the guest, right? Mm -hmm. All fun stuff. None of it really serious. And I was like pumped to give, you know, to ask them all these... Jewish questions, <laughs> and I realized when I kidded, uh, when uh, I Fairmont or Saint Viateur? Yeah, what's that? <laughs> uh, I said Fairmont or Saint Viateur. That's the question for Amari Stoudemire. Yeah, it's a bagel joke for. Yeah, I have no, it? I have no idea what yeah, you're saying, exactly. but you know, see, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to pretend like I know. It's right. like, nah. Well, those are Montreal bagel shops, to be fair. I you mean, know, Montreal bagels are overrated. I agree, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. No, this it's is funny. unanimous opinion I, of this podcast. It's funny. I can say we, we've talked about these... this many times. If yeah. you guys disagree with us, get your own podcast because we we we're, we're putting our our, our took, stake in the sand. Uh, we we were doing off the record for Montreal. See, I got a story for everything. Eighteen seasons, two hundred shows yeah. a season, um, four guests a show. You have a lot of stories. We were doing the show from Montreal when they played the Washington Capitals in the first round, and it was like this amazing series. And we started to follow it. We went to Montreal, and I decided Pierre Maguire was a guest on the show. And then I was going to bring bagels from Toronto because I flew out on Porter in the morning. So I got Bagel World bagels. Where to, where to, twisters. twisters or flat? Twisters. Oh, you got to go, go with the that's, twisters. That's the Naturally. bagel debate on our yeah. podcast. No, no free ads, but free ad for Bagel World. Yeah. Uh, so I bought those and then got some Montreal bagels from allegedly the best place. And I said, okay, close your eyes. You know, I'm going to give you one of these, which is better. Picked the Montreal bagel. Oh. Wow. It was devastating. Well, devastating. he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Like, that's not a thing. It's They're not gummy. like the Coke and Pepsi challenge. It's yeah. pretty They're obvious. They're gummy. Yeah, it is yeah. pretty. It's true. Yeah, I think 
fresh out of the oven, like very fresh, they're fine, but they're not the same thing as a bagel. And it's no. not exactly what, what, what I'm looking for. No, there's for. like Jews compete on bagels. We used to compete on Chinese food. There sure. was lychee garden in Toronto. Now that Lee Garden's gone, there isn't much left. Yeah. Lychee garden. You're too lychee young garden. for lychee okay, garden. Anyone go. here remember lychee garden? I can, I can, yeah. <laughs> a few hands shoot up, yeah. Um, and there was uh, Ruby Foos in uh, Montreal. And there was Carmen's Steakhouse here and Moishe's in Montreal. Right. And that's like if you saw a Jew from Montreal and you're from Toronto, that was the territory you you're were going to scrap pickles on. at each yeah, other. From exactly. The, I think the, the Ottawa folks with Golden Palace, too, they would throw their hat in the ring. Although I, yeah, I I, I'm, not a, I'm not aware of, uh, of it, said. It, it is like the Jewish Ottawa Chinese place of, of choice. But I've ne- anyways, I, I've never really had it either. Beth David Hebrew School is now accepting new students. One of Toronto's most dynamic, egalitarian, conservative congregations is offering personalized Hebrew lessons, hands-on learning, exciting field trips, and small group activities, all with a hot dinner included. This is Jewish exploration that will last your children a lifetime. Classes run weekly on Monday nights from 5 to 7.15 p.m. starting September 18th. To learn more and enroll, visit BethDavid.com or email Adina, that's A-D-I-N-A, at BethDavid.com. Michael, we want to talk to you a little bit about uh, what you've been doing recently and, and a lot of uh, work with mental health advocacy. Uh, you've been very open about your struggles with mental health and your challenges with it. Um, how did you make the decision to sort of come out with some of those stories uh, be open about it, and uh, become the advocate that you are. Right. I would like to say that my plan was to change people's lives. That I had this idea, you know, I'm going to use the worst thing in my life as one of the best things in my life. I'm going to talk and share candidly, and I'm going to change and save lives. Not my plan at all. It was a total, it was 2009, coming off this year, this tattoo on my arm, uh, 112408YULMH521040. November 24th, 2008, YUL is the Montreal Airport Code, MH5 521 Marriott Hotel Room 521-0400, 4 a.m. in the morning. Uh, that was my lowest point. I understood why people take their own lives. On for, Sitting on the edge of my bed at 4 a.m. in the morning. We were there for the Grey Cup, uh, shooting off the record. And I was, uh, for the previous year, I was just so sick. Just so, um, just overcome with depression and anxiety. Uh, And I had never spoken about it on TV, not because I was ashamed, because everyone in my life knew, but because I thought no one would care. They'll just say, oh, Lansbury wants us to like him, so he's gonna, you know, he's, oh, poor him. So I just thought, why bother? I didn't realize that there was this, like, massive benefit to it. So in 2009, I'm I'm feeling better. And Stéphane Richet, a former Montreal Canadian great, is a guest on Off the Record, and I had read that he battled depression in the 1990s. So I went to the green room, I said, uh, Stefan, just come outside for a second. And like, I can remember what he was wearing. I can remember he was leaning against the wall because this is the start of like this new phase in my life. I said to him, uh, Stefan, I know you battled depression in the 1990s. Would you be okay if I asked you about it and how you're doing? And he said, I'd rather not talk about it. It's very painful. And I said, okay, well, I'm glad I asked you in advance, but if you'll talk about it, I'll talk about it. And he said, what would you talk about? So I told him about, you know, anxiety as a kid, but depression for the previous 10 years and especially coming off this year when, you know, I was just brought down by this and I, I was 
living, but I was not alive. Uh, and he said, let's do it. We went on the air. We talked for maybe two minutes. He said one of the most profound things and one of the things that really summarizes depression. He said, imagine a Canadian kid born in Montreal, drafted by the Montreal Canadiens, last Montreal Canadian to, be, uh, to score 50 goals. I was the rookie of the year in the NHL. I won the Stanley Cup, and I got no joy from hockey whatsoever. None. He said, when I won the Cup, all I wanted to do was go home and go to bed. And I thought, wow. That's like the perfect explanation for depression. And when the show was over, I just thought, yeah, that was, that was a good show. I asked him a good question, got a good answer. I talked for maybe a minute about it. And sure. um, then the reaction um, changed my life. You know, emails, almost all of them saying the same thing. Hey, Michael, hearing you and Stefan Richet was the first time that I've heard two men talk about depression. And the fact that you weren't ashamed and you weren't embarrassed and you didn't sound weak is empowering me to reach out to you and tell you that I, too, have battled depression. And even though I've never gotten help, I'm going to go tomorrow or whatever. And that was like the tip-off to me that I had something really valuable inside me, which is really easy to give, right? You know, people see it as courageous. You know, I, I spoke in front of uh, 300 RCMP people on, uh, on Friday night in Regina. And I said, how many people here think I'm courageous for speaking about my mental health? And they all put up their hands. And I said, well, first of all, you got to know I'm going somewhere with this. Like, what kind of idiot would actually say, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm incredibly courageous. Right. I said, you know, my, my point is this takes no courage for me because I was never worried about what people thought. It's the easiest thing in the world. And I said, imagine RCMP, you people, what you've given, what you've given up what you give to our world, that you would look at me at, as courageous is kind of bizarre and twisted. Do you feel that uh, that sense of, you know, I'm at the top, I should be doing great is sort of what's keeping or what's held back the discussion about mental health among pro athletes, among people uh, competing at a high level? Because it continues to be a, a, a difficult point for a lot of people. There's been lots of athletes in the last, I would say, really just the last five years, maybe 10 years. Agreed who yeah. have started talking about Last it. Last five years, probably. But it's really just the start. And, and I think it's still a really foreign concept for a lot of people. Uh, it's very difficult to talk about. And, you know, there's a lot of stigma around it, obviously, uh, in all, all walks of life. But uh, agreed. is part of it for athletes just that, you know, well, you're Kevin Love. You've won an NBA championship. You, why do you feel depressed? You know, why do you have that sense of it? Why, why do you have these struggles? Is that what's part of what's keeping athletes back? You know, I think at its core, this stigma, and I talk a lot about the stigma, the stigma still lives uh, and is still incredibly powerful. Powerful enough that, uh, speaking about the group that I was talking to, uh, everybody in the room knew someone who had taken their own lives. Uh, and uh, almost all of them had no idea that even their partner was sick. And uh, what you learn from that is that there are people that would rather die than share. They would rather die than go for the help that they'll have to tell someone. And that's incredibly tragic. And part of the reason is we still have no physical proof of depression or anxiety or any of those illnesses. Like, I still can't show you an x-ray or a biopsy or a blood test. So all you have to go on is what I'm telling you. And there's a skepticism that some people have. Well, okay, you know, uh, I always say that the stigma is every word after the but. So if you say to someone, physical illness like uh, cancer or lupus or diabetes and mental illness like bipolar or depression or anxiety, you know, do you see them as like the same? And people say, oh, yeah, you know, I understand, you know, like depression is really bad thing. Uh, but. But. 
Come on. It's not like Landsberg. It's not like you're dying. Come on. You know, uh, it's not like if you don't try really hard, you can't, you know, you can't like, how can you not be able to get out of bed? Go out and do something fun. You know, we all come to the discussion, I think, with that attitude. Like, and part of the reason is because you can never understand what a mental illness feels like if you haven't felt it. But you kind of think you can because we've all lived with our brains and we've all lived with brains that were sad at times, anxious at times, and we make the mistake of thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm down in the dumps. That must be the illness depression. But when it relates to something in your life, that's a logical reaction, right? Mm -hmm. As I I said at the start of my talk, uh, you know, my dad died a year and a half ago. That makes me sad, but it doesn't make me depressed. You know, I I went for uh, uh, a biopsy a couple of months ago. I was anxious as hell between the time I went for the biopsy and the time I got the results. But that's not general anxiety disorder. That's Mm -hmm, the appropriate reaction in life. Sure. It's, you know, after you mentioned there's uh, uh, your 2009, you know, episode, you were on TV, at least on Off the Record every day for another eight, nine years after that. How did you use the show to keep talking about the cause in that time, I was lucky that uh, that TSN was bought. It was uh, owned privately, and then it was bought by Bell, and they created Bell Media. And George Cope decided in 2011 that he was going to start this thing called Bell Let's Talk Day, and he wanted Bell to be an example of a big company. He told me, he said. Can you imagine when we put our logo on the side of Cam H? It was the first time in Canadian or American history that a major company has put its logo anywhere near anything wow. to do with mental illness. That's really interesting. So I was lucky that I worked for this company that kind of saw the world the same way as, as I did. And, and do you feel like it gave you a, um, I don't want to say an in necessarily, but it did, did it give you a way to talk to other athletes, to talk to athletes or other people you're interviewing about their struggles in a different way? Did people uh, respond to to your story? You know, I, I tried to keep it. I, I tried to. Um, I, I did. I tried not to use it like all the time. Sure. Because I, you know, there are many many aspects of life. It's not like I'm one of these people that battles mental illness that believes everyone battles mental illness, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's still you know, ten percent of the population suffers from anxiety or depression. You know, I, I didn't want to bore the rest of the population with questions that maybe they couldn't relate to. But if I knew that an athlete had shared that meant the door was open. And there weren't many of them. It's not like it came up every day, like, oh my God, should I ask this question? But if you had somebody who had told a story, like for me, that was like, that was gold. There's, um, you know, it's interesting talking to athletes about, you know, their lives and, and, you know, occasionally their Judaism, but also, you know, going through various stages of, of cognitive behavioral therapy myself, you notice at least athletes tend to, elite athletes, and I find especially the Jewish and highly educated ones, tend to use a lot of the same tactics that, you know, are, are treating anxiety disorders to get a lot of performance out of them. Um, and I think it's a lot of the similar sort of brain chemistry tactics that, that people use, mindfulness being one of them. Sean Green wrote a book about mindfulness, for example, um, being a Jewish athlete. Um, and Did he, he had his bar mitzvah in Toronto, right? Like he was bar mitzvah. Obviously, he wasn't 13 when yes. he played for the Jays. <laughs> but so, do you know, there's been a big debate. Was it Holy Blossom or Beth Sedek? Beth Sedek. It was, okay. Yeah. Do you know the answer to that? Well, I'm also a Beth Sedek graduate. Uh-huh. I, I went graduate. <laughs> bar mitzvah? Uh, I was bar mitzvah. I was married in Beth Sedek. Hey, me too. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went to Hebrew school. 
which was um, still one sure. of the worst experiences of my life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We'll, like, add, we'll add oh that out for the podcast. Like, I, I was a kid, because of my anxiety, I was afraid to ever get in trouble, except in Hebrew school. Yes. I, be I became a terror. We're, was, I mean, were all these proud Jewish adults despite Hebrew school? Or just, maybe because of it. it, it I... I could not agree more. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like, okay, what do we do uh, with a kid when he finishes school at 3.30? I know, let's send him to religious school where he has yeah. to learn another language uh, and we'll just assume that you know he's still pretty fresh and ready with, to learn. With a right. non-teacher, by the way. You know, it, that, that uh, I, like I said, I have a story for everything, but when, uh, and this is a serious How story. How many Hebrew school teachers were on off the record? No, sorry, go on. Uh, <laughs> You know, there was, so there was this one guy yes. who, he pushed me, uh, and my dad called the principal and said, you know, like, you shouldn't be pushing, you know, my son. Uh, and the principal said, yeah, you know, you're right, it's, but we, we hire Holocaust survivors, and, um, you know, this is one of the jobs that, you know, they can do, and they're not, they're not really trained to teach. Mm -hmm. They speak Hebrew, uh, the ones that we're hiring, right. and uh, that, uh, like, it didn't resonate with me much at the time. I was 12 years old, but, you know, the fact that I, I'm still telling that story today and thinking about it, um, you know, it had an impact on me. Right. Interesting. You guys are great. Oh, seriously! That, thanks for filling that awkward silence. I mean, yeah. we can go back to bagels if you like. You know, there, there was a there was a question I wanted to ask. It's usually how we uh, how we wrap up our, our podcast when we have guests on. Uh, were there any Jewish athletes when you were a kid that you looked up to or you were a fan of? Uh, we talked a little bit before, but I don't think there's been any Jewish Raptors. I don't know if there's been any, there were any Jewish Leafs back in the day. There weren't that many. You know, we're having sort of a renaissance of Jewish hockey players right now. Yeah. But uh, for I those think, who don't know. Quinn Hughes was named captain of the Canucks today. Big yeah. Jewish sports but news. But isn't there, isn't there like a debate on, on the Hughes family? So they were raised Jewish. Their mother yeah, is their fully Jewish. Jewish. Okay. Um, okay. And raised in Toronto. I don't believe they had a bar mitzvah, but Jack's on the record of saying they did all the holidays. Yeah. Which again, Israel rules. Hold on. Good enough. Hold on. He says they do high holidays, or they did, they did. high they holidays. Hol yeah. yeah. But he didn't have a bar mitzvah. Yeah, I would be as a journalist. I would be very skeptical that well, a family could that's a good actually point. go if, to. That's a good point. I, I'll send Mike Francesca that letter that was on that show that he said it, um, and I'll ask. But yes, it was. It is confusing. His mother was also a, a a national team hockey player for America, and I think the first Jewish women's hockey world champion. Oh wow! If we uh, have that correct, do you know who uh, who broadcast the first women's world hockey championship? Was it was it you? Yeah, there you go. Do wow. you remember Ellen Weinrib? It was 1990 mm -hmm. in Ottawa, pink okay. uniforms. Geraldine Heaney scored a goal on, a, on a, a beautiful breakaway goal, and I screamed, like, Geraldine Heaney, oh, my God. And that is in the Hall of Fame. Two words, <laughs> Geraldine Heaney. And I like to think that I'm in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah. I mean, there's actually a... Maybe you are. There's a great connection to the, that we have as Jewish broadcasters to the women's national team. Um, was coached for a long time by Peter Smith, who was the coach at McGill when I went there. And he is now the coach of the women's Maccabi hockey team. How? We don't know. But um, <laughs> he is. Uh, we've had members of the team on the show, and, and Coach Smith is, you know, believes in the program. 
So, so back to that question. Were, were there Jewish athletes that you remember as a kid? Uh, well, I, I remember. I mean, you can't be a Jew of my generation and not sort of bow to the name Sandy Koufax. Sure. Right? I mean, it was like huge. The, like, forget about his Cy Youngs and forget about his World Series and World Series MVP and won the Triple Crown for a pitcher. I looked this up earlier today, so I have these off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. But That's good prep for the, the, the Koufax show. research. But the, the fact that he wouldn't pitch on Yom Kippur... It was like legendary, and I mean that was before my time, but it was still very much alive in right. you know in my dad's head. You, still today, I mean, I think it's still set up as the paragon of uh, you know Jewish sport ethics. Of, and before you know, him, there was play. Hank Greenberg, yeah. who who famously didn't pitch on, didn't pitch, didn't hit on Rosh Hashanah, came on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, which as many North American Jews spend less time at shul for, um, and he played. And then he had, I think, two home runs that day. And on, this was, you know, the mid-1930s, the headline of the Detroit Free Press was Shana Tova in Hebrew. That's awesome. <laughs> after the That's day a great after story. Hammer uh, and Hank, yeah. Hammer and Hank hit two home runs on Rosh Hashanah. He was great. And uh, I guess a, a different question for you. Just are, are there any other Jewish guests from off the record that you remember? Any interesting Jewish interviews that you can recall I, 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 from I, over the years? Uh, I'll, I'll think about it as I'm talking, which is one of the keys to yeah, broadcasting. Just, just is, yeah. you, you got is, well, is to try to be we, engaging we and here. interesting, yeah. but still thinking about something else. Of so course. we used to, I, I, I would always notice when we would have another a Jewish guest on the show, right? That you would never say, like, in front of the three other oh, by guests. By the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, he's a Jew. I'm going to favor him. But I, there would always be, like, this little... This little like nod mm -hmm. you would give each nod, other, yeah. like, I got your back. Okay, that's good to know. It's good to know that it's it's permeated. Uh, we don't control all the media, but uh, off the record, apparently. Uh, <laughs> back in the day, I think that's why they canceled it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> too Jewish, frigid anti-Semites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we uh, we find we a lot of athletes. You know, we hear a, a lot, and we say this on the show a lot. Um, you know, once you're sort of made as a Jewish athlete, or or out as a Jewish athlete. You'll have fans like anywhere you go, no matter what. Yeah. Well, uh, at least in, say, a dozen North American cities that, that have a sizable <laughs> Jewish population. Yeah. And they happen to be in the Northeast. Yeah. 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 Uh, though Spencer Torwitz told us, of the Blue Jays told us that when he was playing in the minor leagues in, I think, Bend, Oregon, was one of the teams he played for. Right. He thinks he was the only Jew in the city. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably true. So back to uh, whenever I give a speech, I, I, which is you know probably, I don't know, once a week, say, I will say, uh, sometimes, because I'm not reading a speech, obviously, I'll say, you know, like, I, I apologize in advance if I make a joke about mental health that, that offends you, but I can do these jokes because I, you know, I'm here because I talk about mental illness, my own, and I can make Jewish jokes. Uh, and I looked into the crowd on Friday night, 300 RCMP in Regina, and I said, and I can make Jewish jokes. <laughs> is anybody jokes. here Jewish? And, and I said, is, is anybody here Jewish? Dead silence. <laughs> I said, has anyone here ever met a Jew before? Uh, and there wasn't a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, uh, we, we don't, we don't, we don't We're spread out. people. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Well, luckily we don't have that problem here uh, tonight. So, uh, Michael, I think we need to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real treat and a real pleasure. Oh, stop.